first about the financial advisor. He said, like, well, I really like them. Well, that's great. Who do you prioritize more, them or your family? I have to ask this of people all the time because they'll say, like, I don't want to hurt their feelings. And they've been so good to me. But who's more important, your family or them? Because it sounds like you're prioritizing them over your own family. You're listening to The Life and Money Show, a podcast that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth for their families and impacting the world around them. And now here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Life and Money Show. I'm Annie Dickerson here with Julie Lamb. Julie, how are you today? I'm doing great. Trying to soak up this warm weather, the last of it before the end of the year, but doing good. How about you? You're not outside, I don't think, basking on your (laughs) new patio in your nice, beautiful new home. I don't think you are recording this podcast, but where are you? Are you in your house? I think our listeners will find this really funny too, (laughs) is as we've moved around and we've traveled, we've recorded this podcast in all sorts of crazy places. Mm -hmm. And so when we moved into the house we're in now, I love for the perfect spot for my podcasting studio. And guess what? I'm in a closet in the guest room in our new home, and it is perfect. I think this used to be a bathroom by the layout of it, but it's great. It's the perfect size. And I've got like all my quotes up. I've got my photos up. I've got lights in here and my green Uh screens in here. And Uh it's the perfect size because not only do I have one door between me and the kids, I've got the closet door and the guest room doors. I've got two doors. It's great. Do you have light in there? Because you look like you have light on your... Okay. I know, right? The closet's got lights, which is why I think it used to be a bathroom. It's got lights in here and I've got a desk. It's got room for my desk in here and I've got my lights set up. It's a whole thing. And it's like, it transports me into this whole studio podcasting world. It's small, so it's easier. (laughs) Everywhere else in our house is echoey and it's like a cavern. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. But anyway, I'm so excited to share this with our listeners, um, our conversation today with Chris Miles. He's the creator of Money Ripples, and he has just a fascinating story because he really sort of fell into the world of financial advising, and he really came up that way and then started to realize, wait a second, (laughs) these things that I'm teaching people why aren't they helping them to retire early and to become financially free? What's going on here? And then he had an experience where he saw firsthand one of his friends leave this space and try something new. And that was his first foray into thinking, wait a second, maybe there's another way. And so now he's anti-financial advising and he's created Money Ripples to really help to teach people the truth around some popular myths about money, which we get into in this episode. I think it should say anti-traditional financial advising because- In a lot of ways, he is still an advisor, maybe Mm -hmm. no longer formally, but he is, like he says at the end of the show, he likes still teaching and educating around finance and all of that kind of stuff. But it's the traditional financing that he's kind of against. And I'm so excited to have 
this conversation because I think it's one that other investors and other folks listening in who might have an interest in becoming an investor, if you're not already, to hear. Because I realized a lot of this stuff when we got into what we do now, I always questioned, why am I not getting the kind of advice that I wanted to get from my financial advisor? And in the show, because he was a financial advisor, he talks and goes into a ton of detail about why people, financial advisors don't ever tell you about syndications and alternative investments. And the, I mean, the spoiler alert, it's because they're not incentivized to, which we talk about on the show, but it's so cool to have somebody who left, saw the holes in the traditional way that we're all taught and decided to leave. And the big thing that I took away from a lot of our conversation is take a step back and ask your financial advisor, look at the people who are helping you and ask the question, are they where you want to be? So in other words, if financial freedom is where you want to be, if you want to be making 100% return every year, are they doing that in their own life? And like he's talked about on the show, most of the time the answer is no. So you're getting advice from somebody who doesn't know how to get you where you want to go because they're not walking the talk either. And they don't know. That's the thing is most of them don't know either. And so it's such a fun conversation. And we talked a lot about, towards the end, we talked about 401ks. I still remember I heard on a podcast like five years ago, the truth about 401ks, which I had no idea about and why they were created and what a 401k really is and what it's really doing. I have not contributed to my 401k since the day I heard that podcast. And it's been a wise decision because my money's not tied up in there and I've invested that money in alternative investments instead. So we spent a little bit of time at the end talking a little bit about that. If anybody wants to know the podcast or get some details on that, go ahead and email me and I'll send that over to you. But it was such a fun episode and lots of good tips in the show about what to do and what not to do to create cash flow and freedom. So. Indeed. And to all our listeners, be sure to listen to the very end because in the Life and Money Show spotlight round, he shares a hack around a specific formula for how to compare the different loans you might be paying off and how to determine which ones to pay off first versus later to maximize your cash flow. It's genius. So on top of that, for anybody who is out there who might be new to this whole world of alternative investing, it can be a scary place out there because there are unfortunately scams out there and it's hard to know whom to trust and where to go and where to start. So that's a big part of what we do in our book. It's called Investing for Good. And we really give you a broad introduction to the alternative investing space and specifically real estate syndications and passive investing. So if you haven't already, go ahead. We've got a free hardcover copy for all of you. Just go to goodegginvestments.com slash book. With that, let's dive into our conversation with Chris Miles. Chris, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, I'm doing fantastic. I'm not going to say dandy, but I'm doing fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Handy dandy. I love it. Well, Chris, after working as a traditional financial advisor and stock coach for several years, 
I know that you realized that the financial advising industry was not quite helping people to really quickly and safely become financially prosperous, which I know is something both Julie and I have experienced independently firsthand through working with multiple financial advisors over the years. And then after you left that industry, you were able to retire. And I can't believe I'm saying this, but just age 28, which is crazy. And you've since worked to teach your strategies through your company, Money Ripples, while exposing, I love this, the popular myths around money that have kept so many from enjoying financial freedom and peace of mind. So Chris, start by telling us the whole world of financial advising. What drew you into all of that in the first place? They kind of suck, don't they? <laughs> <It's> <laughs> That's true. what like, I found too. <laughs> I was just a salesman in a suit. That's really what all I was. Mm. Right? I didn't know it at the time, but that's what I've realized since then. But it's funny because I never planned to go into finance. My original plan was to become a business consultant, right? To walk into big corporations, telling them how they treat their employees like crap so that I can fix the company and walk out with a big paycheck. That was my goal. I was a sociology major in college, right? I was getting my bachelor's in sociology with a triple minor in Japanese ballroom dancing and psychology, right? Uh, So little known fact, I was one of the nation's top amateur ballroom dancers about 20 years and 20 pounds ago. So I used to do that. And I was kind of like the Renaissance man, right? But my whole intent was to go and get my MBA. And that was that. But I'm one of those people, I think you need to have like real experience, right? Not just book smarts, but something that actually shows that you've got some experience there. So I was looking for something more to kind of put on that college resume. And so I said, you know what? I should start my own business. I don't know what that business would look like, but I should start something. So I basically dropped out of college with not even a class. It was one independent study course, which was to take my thesis paper, condense it into journal format. It was supposed to be a one-year hiatus, right? It was a little sabbatical to take the time off just to get that business experience. Well, a few months later, I had a friend that said, hey, I just got hired with this financial firm. It's really cool. And something about it just sounded interesting to me. I said, you know, I don't know much about money. Like I've saved it and stuff, but I don't know much about it. I was a kid in Oregon growing up and doing the paper stock trading in Starbucks before it got popular and now wishing I actually did it, but it is what it is. So anyways, I said, well, can you get me an interview? And so eventually he got me in for an interview. I didn't realize at that time they would hire anybody off the street that could pass a test with a 70%, right? I thought I would have to really impress them so they would hire me. And so I was like wearing my best suit. I was acting like I was interviewing for a corporate job only to realize I was going to be a commission-only salesperson, right? (laughs) (laughs) But it was really interesting. I mean, it wasn't what I expected, but I really did like being an entrepreneur. I liked having control of my own destiny and my time and things like that. So I stayed dropped out of college. I never went back. And I started down that path. And I did that for four years from pretty much about the time of the Twin Towers, just after that is when I started. And then I got to the point where the end of 2005, I started to see holes, right? I started to see that there was weaknesses because again, I like evidence. I like real experience. I like to see that things work. And when I started inheriting other people's clients from decades of advice, they weren't doing that great. And especially some of them were saying, oh, did so-and-so, I hope they're in jail because Y2K has been horrible to me, right? That was their thing. They're like, I hope they're in jail. I lost so much money with the stock market crash and these tech stocks and everything. And I started to see their situation realizing they're not doing great. And then I got more information. I started to look at reality. I started realizing the stock market wasn't returning what they claimed. It's not a 10 or 12% real rate of return. It's an average return, which is not real money, right? 
So I realized that was an issue. And so I started putting in like 8% as an actual return. Well, you can imagine people, even if they're starting out in their mid-20s, like most people in my age group at that time, well, that wasn't very exciting because 40 years, wow, I'm barely a millionaire. And what's that going to be worth in 40 years? Anyways, like what's the real rate of inflation, right? And all this stuff. So it was a little bit depressing, but again, my pocketbook was tied to it. My whole career was tied to it. Well, end of 2005, when the student's ready, the teacher appears, right? A guy I'd hired to be a financial advisor, he quit to go do real estate investing with his dad. They partnered up on some deals. And four months later, I thought, I'm going to call him just to see how he's doing. Because I bet you he's not doing great. And I'm going to beg him, not beg him, I'm going to convince him to come back to work for me, right? Well, guess what? That's the opposite effect, as you well know, right? I mean, they were doing more like flips and things like that. But still, like he said, man, things are awesome. I've actually doubled my dad's income from being a professor at the local university. And I said, come on, that's too good to be true, right? Which I'm sure you've heard <laughs> with your investment stuff when you talk about your IRR and things like that. They're like, come on, is that really true? Is this a scam? And so that's what I was saying too. Because again, four years as a financial advisor, I thought I knew it all. Well, he, he kind of stopped me. He said, Chris, how many of your clients are actually financially free where they don't worry about money? Not retired, but they don't worry about money. I said, well, none of them because they watch CNN and everybody worries about money when you watch CNN, right? He says, well, that's great. Well, how about this? How many of you guys as financial advisors are financially free, not off the commissions and the renewals and everything you're getting, but actually doing these mutual funds? And I thought about the guys that have been working in that office since the late 70s, right? And they weren't financially free either. So I'm like, well, none of us. He said, well, there's your problem. And I said, well, give me the answer. He's like, I won't give you the answer. You just got to tell me stocks were better than real estate. And I said, come on, you got me to admit something. Give me something. He said, all right, if you're really serious, I don't think you are, but if you are, get the book by Robert Kiyosaki called Who Took My Money, which is a lesser known rich dad book. And then go listen to this AM talk radio show locally here in Utah of these two real estate investors that talk about this stuff. And so I did. And that was January of 06. And then the next thing I know, by March of 06, I said, I can't teach this stuff anymore. I'm done. I quit. I will just be a mortgage broker and I'll teach ballroom dancing on the side and do maybe a little stock coaching and stuff like that. You always have that ballroom dancing to fall back on. I love it. Always. You know, that was like my dream at the time, right? It's like, at least do something with that. If I can't compete, I'm going to teach. So anyways, I was doing that. But again, I wanted to know what these guys knew. It drove me nuts. And so I started to get mentored by these guys. And the next thing I know, by later that summer, a matter of months later, I was out of the rat race myself. Now, granted, I only needed 3,500 bucks a month to get out of the rat race at that time. It wasn't as hard, right? But it shocked me. It was so easy because I was thinking I would have to save millions of dollars and then live on less than the interest like every financial advisor teaches. But in truth, it's not about that. It's about the cash flow. It's about the income that comes in. And that's what shifted everything. In fact, I was super, I was like on cloud nine, just bouncing around, happy. And people are like, why are you so happy? Like, are you making a lot of money? Like, and this is when I first started, right? They're like, are you making a lot of money or something? No, I'm not, not yet, but <laughs> I see it now, right? And then eventually months later, it came and that blew my mind. And then I was like, well, now I'm almost 28, almost 29. What do I do with my life? And so 2007, I came out of retirement, partnered up with some guys that were also out of the rat race. And we started teach people how to do that. Really long story short, we went through the recession and uh, got hit really hard, almost went bankrupt, didn't quite go bankrupt, but I went from millionaire to upside down millionaire. So I was back in the rat race by 2008, 2009, and uh, had to dig out of that hole and eventually dug back out to where I was able to, to become financially independent again the second time by the end of 2016. 
this time much wiser and smarter this time around. So that's that's how you know you really know what you're doing. If you've not only done it once, you've done it twice, you've lost everything and you can figure it out how to get it back even faster and better the second time. That's the thing, right? Like if anything, that's why I was trying to tell myself when I was really depressed, you know, through the recession was worst case, if anybody benefits from my pain, it becomes their gain. Wonderful. If I can prove I did it again, then at least I know it works, right? But I'd never recommend anybody listen to this podcast to try to become financially independent twice because it's just better to do it the first time around and get it done with. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. As you were talking, it made me think a lot about the story of Plato's cave, how when everybody's in this dark cave and you don't know there's anything outside, that's all you yeah. know, right? But that's the moment right. you go outside and you see the light and you see, wow, there's all this stuff out here. And then you try to go back in the cave and you're like, oh, I can't believe I was in here the whole time. And it sounds like that's that was your experience with the financial advising world in that space. And so yeah. for anybody who may not understand, I've never been a financial advisor myself. I don't know what that training looks like, mm-hmm. how you're incentivized, how the commissions work. Why is it you start out by saying financial advisors suck? Why do you think that is? (laughs) I did that more for shock value. The the truth is financial advisors, for the most part, have really good hearts. They want to do what's best for their clients, right? And now there are some that are just trying to screw you over and they're out there, of course, like industry. But for the most part, they are trying to help people. The problem is, is that you have to trace back where their education comes from. Because their education comes from financial institutions, like, like the Fidelities and the Merrill Lynch's of the world. Well, what are they promoting? What is their real self-interest? It's not to make the clients rich. Their self-interest is to keep your money and keep it there forever. So is it any wonder that we're told to spend nothing, save everything, save it forever? And even when you try to pull the money out, don't pull out too much, right? Because you don't want to run out of money too early. So pull out less than the interest. There's some people, the FIRE movement, the financial independent retire early says you can pull out 4% totally old number. We were questioning that number, even as financial advisors, 20 years ago. So 2 to 3% is more likely because people are living longer, especially if you're trying to retire early. People are living longer. Inflation is much higher than they claim, and their interest rates that you're earning in the markets are much lower than they claim too. So when you think about it, you're trying to live on 2 or 3%. They want you to try to let it grow even while you're retired, and then inflation will eventually pull it back the other direction, right? Well, think about it from their standpoint, right? Like the Merrill Lynch's of the world. They want more money under management because they charge you guaranteed fees. They tell you high risk creates high returns, right? Because they want you to take all the risk so they don't have to. But they do the exact opposite. They take the lowest risk possible, getting guaranteed fees, whether you make money or not, they're always taking money out. And as a result, what happens is that, yeah, you're happy if you might make 10, 15%, especially like the last 12 years or so, where people are like, the market's awesome. Like, no, it's not. This is like more than double the average long-term. So imagine what it has to do to correct itself, right? So those kind of things are the things that, again, as a financial advisor, you don't really think about because you think you're the one taught the wise financial advice. And of course, because it's always on the financial shows and things like that, because the Dave Ramseys of the world are telling you to be debt-free and put your money in mutual funds. So you're going to support that. And he sounds smart, even though he's from Tennessee and nobody sounds smart from Tennessee. I have lots of great friends from Tennessee. I say, I actually love the state. I wouldn't mind moving there someday. But that's the thing is like, he's just like this guy telling old advice that people still believe. Like He still tells you that the market returns 12%. I've got a Twitter post that I copied, a screenshot of it. It's never returned a 12% average long-term, not a real rate of return. In fact, the last 30 years, if you actually look at it, it's about 8.4%. 
if you look at the 30-year S&P 500 as a real rate return with compound interest and everything, right? Not 12. And so when you have guys like that out there teaching that stuff, telling you that debt-free is the answer, and then you get people like that follow my show, like they follow yours, and they say, hey, I'm debt-free, I've saved like crazy, but I'm asset-rich and cash-poor, I don't have any freedom, then you start to realize, wait, is there something wrong with this advice, right? So mm-hmm. bad assumptions. Again, advisors telling you it's 10 or 12% when it's really closer to eight. And that's if you get market returns, most of the time they give you less, six or seven is more likely. The other problem is inflation. They're telling you it's maybe two or 3% when in reality, it's probably more like five to 7%, but you don't want to show that in the numbers. That's why I stopped doing it at the end. At the very end, when I start putting in lower numbers of returns, then I saw that my 3% number even on inflation was almost too much. It would depress people. So I'd bring it down to one or 2%, right? But the truth is it's higher, it's offsetting it. So, and they're telling you to take high risk, create high returns. That's another fallacy. So think about it, like the definition of risk, right? Every financial advisor's taught this in a test. The definition of risk is chance of loss. What are your odds of losing? Well, when did a 90% chance of losing become a 90% chance of winning? I mean, I'm trying to do the math here to make it 100%, but that doesn't quite add up, does it? If you have a 90% chance of losing, you only have a 10% chance of winning. If we were to take high risk, high returns, that means we should all just sell off all of our 401ks and IRAs, regardless of the match, sell off our houses, sell off all of our assets and buy Powerball tickets, right? And just gamble it because that's the <laughs> highest- Sounds like a good strategy to me. Yeah. That sounds like <laughs> yeah. a good- We, we can pour money together. We'll split it, right? Like This would be like a syndication <laughs> of Powerball. <laughs> that <laughs> should just, be our next deal, Julie. There you go. <laughs> that's right. There you go. <laughs> it goes from good egg to broken egg, right? There we go. I like so, it. Oh, yeah. I saw you nodding and smiling a lot. I know that you've heard a lot of these messages from talking oh, to yeah. financial advisors. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've been sitting here kind of giggling to myself because probably about- about 10 years ago, 12 years ago or so, I was knocking on my financial advisor's door and I said, hey, look, I've done all the things. I have no debt. I'm paying more on my mortgage than I'm supposed to. We're saving a bunch of money every month. And what now? Why is retirement still 30 years down the horizon? And why is an option to retire now not something that we're talking about? And they said, Mm -hmm. well let's get this process started. Let's get you in some life insurance, term life, mind you, right? No idea. Now I know better. And then they were like, let's do some stocks and let's do some bonds. And I was like, okay, so fine. Let's do all those things. And what does that mean? Like, where am I going to end up in the next five years? Oh, same place. Hmm. Something's wrong with that picture. I'm going to continue to invest my money. Like I remember asking them, they looked at me like I had three heads. I'm like, no, no, no. Like, when am I going to be able to retire? Are we talking like five? They said, no, no, no. It's still 30 years from now. And I'm like, you're in it for the long haul, right? Yeah. And I'm like, wait, so I'm going to do all this stuff, but I'm not going to be any closer to retirement. They were like, well, if, the stock market does well. And if this happens and if that happens, then maybe we can shave off 10 years. And I was like, 10 years? Like I still got to wait another 25 years. This is crazy. And it wasn't until I found real estate and found bigger pockets and found this whole other world of cash flow, like you said, that suddenly the light bulb went on for me. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I have been looking for. And we were out looking for shopping for a home. And I realized in that moment that if I took that money instead of buying a home, 
that I would be responsible to pay for <laughs> and invested that money instead to create cash flow for myself that I would be able to think about retiring early, right? That was the beginning phases of all of that. But yeah, it was nuts. And I I moved financial advisors. Annie, you know how I am. I'm like, this mm -hmm. isn't working out. I got to go and moved financial advisors and still got the same advice. And it wasn't until I moved into this world that we're in now that I realized everything that you're talking about, about the salesman in a suit. That's pretty much what these guys are. And they're not incentivized to tell me about a syndication opportunity where mm -hmm. I can earn a 25% annualized return. They're that's not incentivized right. to tell me about that. And that's why I never heard about that from my financial advisors. And it's funny because I had an investor tell me last week that he's not investing in our deal because his financial advisor told him not to. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah. oh my Is he gosh. financially independent? No. <laughs> How would you follow that advice? Right. He's broker than probably the guy he's advising. <laughs> Yes. And it was just, this is a message that I think more folks out there need to hear. And it's a conversation that we need to be talking about more often when we're talking about retirement, when we're talking about saving strategies and investing strategies and retiring early. It's definitely changed a lot. The FIRE movement was not around, or if it was, I had no clue about it <laughs> mm -hmm. because that's essentially what I was looking for 10, 12 years ago and didn't wasn't able to find it. But yeah, so it's, I'm laughing because all of this stuff is exactly all things that I heard way back when before I knew about everything I know about now. So I'm curious, I'm so excited to have you on the show because I don't know that we've ever had like somebody who was a financial advisor who now is anti renegade. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it said on your TikTok, right? Like anti financial advisor. And so Tell us about what do people need to hear now? Let's say somebody's listening and they're like, well, I like my financial advisor. Are they financially free? No, but I have a relationship with them and they're really nice. And I mean, I did really good in my stocks over the last 12 months. Like, how do we go from that? How do we help people shift that mindset from financial advisor, probably not good to, hey, there's this whole other world, like Annie was saying, outside of this black box that I'm in and that I see as my reality how do I start to think about cash flow and think you mentioned that earlier, right? It was, and I've said the same thing. It was like, boom, cash flow. All of a sudden the light bulb went on. How can we start to help people shift their mindset to start thinking about retiring at 28, 35, 42? Like talk to us a little bit about that. There's a few shifts you got to have. I mean, it, it really is more of a mental shift because I think the strategies are easy. I mean, they really are, especially if you're a passive investor, like I am. It's not that hard to do, to be passively involved where you guys are the active ones, right? You're doing the work for me. I think one of the big shifts you have to have is first about the financial advisor saying like, well, I really like them. Well, that's great. Who do you prioritize more, them or your family? I have to ask this of people all the time because they'll say like, I don't want to hurt their feelings and they've been so good to me, but who's more important, your family or them? Because it sounds like you're prioritizing them over your own family. Why would you do that? It's like, if that's the case, your family should leave you, honestly. You should go marry your financial advisor, right? Because <laughs> I know you're, trying, you're laughing, but it's true, right? It's like, I don't want to hurt their feelings. Well, it's not about them. It's about you. You're the boss of your money, not them. But the problem is we've been marketed to for so long that they are the boss of our money, not us. And you cannot have freedom unless you take personal responsibility. 
If you keep turning over your responsibility to somebody else, it's nice and dandy, right? Oh, I use dandy again. It's beautiful. If, of course, something happens where the market goes down, you can blame them. It's not your fault. It's their fault. Well, when the market goes up, I always found it fascinating as an advisor that they would take the credit for the market going up. Like they did anything. <laughs> of course. The thing is your advisor didn't do a squat and neither did you. You guys were riding waves. You were gambling, right? So again, take control of that first. I think that's the first thing is like, I'm the boss, not them. We'll get back to our conversation with Chris in just a minute. Have you been thinking about investing in real estate, but aren't sure you have the time or the desire to manage the investment? Perhaps you're afraid like we were that you'll make the mistake of choosing the wrong market or the wrong team and lose your entire investment. Well, that's exactly why we created the Good Egg Investor Club. We do the work of identifying solid real estate investment opportunities in the best markets around the country and then partner with you to acquire these investments and then we'll all share in the returns. We'll identify the growing markets, strong, experienced teams, and the solid deals. We do all the heavy lifting of managing the tenants and the renovations, and as a passive partner, you get to enjoy all the benefits of investing in real estate, monthly cash flow, long-term appreciation, and the ongoing tax benefits. When we first discovered passive investing through real estate syndications, we realized it fit perfectly into our busy lives. We could put our money to work for our families, work less, and get more time back in our days so that we could focus on what matters most and discover our true passion and purpose in life. We've now helped hundreds of people invest passively in real estate syndications and are seeing the positive impact it's had on their lives. We invite you to partner with us by joining the Good Egg Investor Club today so you can start putting your money to work for you and get more time back in your day because we know that when people have more time in their days, they can do the true work they were intended to do and the world will be a better place. To sign up for the Good Egg Investor Club, go to goodegginvestments.com invest and we'll take it from there. That's goodegginvestments.com invest. And now back to our chat with Chris Miles. Secondly, I get a lot of people, especially when they look at the alternative space, because again, I consult clients on trying to help them find the deals and help them strategize and stuff. And the big thing I have to tell them, because sometimes they'll come at me and they'll say things, maybe you've heard this, where they'll say, well, I'm a conservative investor. Well, I'm more conservative. So that's why I go and invest in the stock market. Now, my viewpoint is conservative means you take less risks. Well, the last I checked, the stock market is one of the riskiest places to be with the least returns, right? I mean, like I said, mediocre returns, that last 30-year average of the S&P before fees and before taxes are taken out is 8.4%. But you're taking all these high risks. By the way, that's after now going the 13th up year in a row. You understand we've never had 13 up years in a row in the market. Six was the biggest record between like 1920s and now. We've never seen more than like six up years in a row. We've had 13. Do you really think that's going to sustain? And that's where it's going to be like what you're talking about, Julie, like you're in it for the long haul, right? Like, well, you know, it's not just five years. Well, maybe the next five years will be good in the market. Well, what happens if the market reverses and you're still in it? I saw an advisor. I was going to church one day. An advisor got up to stand up in church, talk about his stuff. An old person asked, they said, hey, what about us that are retired? Where should we put our money? Should we put it more on bonds and more conservative stuff? He's like, no, unless you're 85 years old, you should be 100% stocks. And both my wife and I were like, like what? Like, 
Did he just say that? Is there anybody from the SEC around right now to then take his licenses away and basically get him fired? Because that is horrible advice, illegal advice at that matter. That is not a suitable recommendation. But again, he was been in the business like 10 years. All he's seen is up market. So get people out of the mindset of thinking that it's always going to go up. Yeah, long-term it will, but what happens if it goes down like it did for my dad? Y2K, he thought by the mid-2000s, he might be able to retire in his 50s. But then Y2K hit and he just moved his money into tech stocks because he was hating that his own coworkers were making more money in the market. So he went and moved some money over and then bam, he got hit. And then it started to come back and then bam, we had the recession, right? That's not the way you want to play it. You don't want to be in that place. And I say the third thing, by the way, on that, cons- that conservative say- investor comment, I just tell them, no, you're not a conservative investor because you're taking high risk. You're a comfortable saver. You're comfortable with being with the masses, right? You're comfortable doing what everybody else is doing, but look at what everybody else is doing. Are they financially free? And that's a very resounding no. Absolutely not. No one is financially free trying to save in these things. I talked to a guy just the other day. He has $3 million, right? And he talked to his financial advisor and the financial advisor said, great, keep going. And by 65, you should be there. <laughs> but to get the number he wanted, he wanted a half million year passive income. To get there, he would have to get up to $15 million. So then he could live off of about 500000 before taxes, right? That's even before taxes are taken out. And he's like, this is dumb. I'm 52 years old, $3 million. Shouldn't that give me close to 500000 a year? And I said, doing the things I know, even if you get a conservative, and this is the third point, right? In the alternative space, I look at conservative 10% returns, right? We look for like things that have real assets backing up, not numbers on a piece of paper. By the way, the stock market is traded with 90% AI now. There's not even stock traders. They're going out of business. It's the AI doing all the work, right? Not people making trades. So even in that space, you have no hope, right? And that, But here, we have real assets. We have like real properties, not numbers on a piece of paper. It's not like GameStop where you might be worth some more or not because of what people might be doing on Reddit, right? It's actual real stuff. And it has real cash flow, real numbers, and they have amazing returns with less risk. I mean, to me, yeah, it sounds too good to be true because you've been taught and trained your whole life that somehow you have to take these high risks to get some good returns. The truth is, is that you've been brainwashed to do that so that you take all the risks, you potentially lose all the money while they, while you're brainlessly just putting the money in there, turning your brain off, letting it grow. And remember, it's always on sale if it goes down. So you dollar cost average when it goes down, but when it goes up and you're not supposed to dollar cost average, you just keep buying because it's going up. So it's always a good time to buy, right? Always. All these little, little lies that we get that we've been brainwashed to think that that is the path. But the truth is in evidence, more of us are financially free percentage-wise doing this than anybody else who's done that. So why not go where evidence shows it working? Right. And it's funny because I've always said that if you want different results from what everybody else is getting, then -hmm. you need to be willing to do the thing that everyone else isn't willing to do. Right. Because otherwise, if you just do what everyone else is doing, you already know what you're going to get. It's like 99% of the people out there. Mm -hmm. So that was like a big thing for me was, oh my gosh, I need to do something that most people aren't willing to do. And I took a little bit of a risk. And then here I am five years later. But those are great points. 
Yeah. Talking about taking responsibility and taking control for me, that was huge. It was about realizing that no one was going to come and save me, not even my financial advisor. They didn't even know how to help me. And I had to help myself and I had to take control. And I had to believe that there was something more out there to push to find what I found. And so I love all of these tips. And like you had mentioned too, when I look at returns, conservatively, a 10% annual return is what we're looking at. Generally speaking, I like to look at something that's in the high teens and an average annual return. And like you said, these are real assets that are backing up your investment. It's not like you said, the stock market where things can evaporate overnight. And so this is, I think, the ongoing long debate between stock investors and real estate investors. I had a friend tell me a few months ago that real estate was like the worst investment and that crypto was where it was at. And I literally (laughs) was like, Really? Like, where, like, where am I living? Because that doesn't make any sense to me. But I don't know a whole bunch about crypto, so maybe I'm wrong. But it's been wild watching. It, it's speculative, right? It's totally. all based on what hype creates it to be. It's yes. way different than actual reality. Yes, it's nuts. So real quick, I want to ask you about what strategies you implemented. So one of the things you Mm -hmm. talk about is creating a quick cash flow and lasting wealth. So when I hear quick Mm -hmm. cash flow, I say that three times fast, I think, and most people think, and I know I did too before, it's like, that's not real. Quick cash Mm -hmm. flow doesn't happen. Anyone who wants a get rich quick thing is like, it's not real. So when you talk about that, and when you're talking with your clients, what is your strategy or some of your strategies that you recommend that folks use to create that quick cash flow? The first thing is trying to find the money, right? A lot of times people can find the money in place they never knew. That's yeah. the problem. Like getting people to track their money, that's key. I have them use Mint, for example. Use mint.com to track your money on a personal basis. QuickBooks for business, if you have a business. Doing simple things like that and just watching your money. The fact you watch your money, you end up finding more money naturally and you don't have to be cheap. You don't have to live on rice and beans and and all that kind of crap, right? You can actually live a good life and be responsible. So being a wise steward of your money, I'll kind of go away from a lot of things I talk about in my ebook where it's like ways to free up cash flow, right? Because if your audience is more in a place of saying, well, hey, I've got cash, but how do I get it to work for me, right? And that's one of those things we talk about too. I tell a lot of the people I talk to to get their money out of prison, right? Many cases, the money's tied up in either savings, earning nothing, earning that point nothing percent, right? You've got money that's tied up in retirement funds. Then you got money tied up in equity in your home. I mean, those three areas are like the biggest areas I find that people have money locked in prison, as I call it, right? Because sometimes people have it sitting in savings because they're just afraid to do anything with it. And we talk about like strategies like infinite banking and how to get your money to pay you twice on doing things like that, especially with a max ROI type stuff. But beyond that, right, it's just getting your money to do something, getting it into a place where it's being deployed and generating actual cash flow. I talked about retirement funds. My people still put money in retirement funds because they've been told by some amazingly rich HR specialist that they're going to be in a lower tax bracket in the future, which has yet to happen for anybody, especially with inflation. It's crazy. It's nuts. <laughs> I know. It is. When I first learned this, I'm like, you guys, what are we trying to teach people here? <laughs> like. Mm-hmm. That's not my plan is to be in a lower tax bracket in 30 years. I don't know. It's crazy. No, if that happens, it means you lost, right? You don't want to be in that place. Yeah. So I've seen that happen. I've seen a lot of people like keep putting money in. By the way, that 401k match is that some people say, well, the 401k, I'll just do up to the match. I just did an episode recently showing the numbers 
that that match long-term only adds to maybe 3% a year. And that's it, like yeah. a, of a compound return. So if you got 7% from your mutual funds, maybe you got up to about 9% or so average yeah. before you pay taxes, which then talk, takes that all away anyways, right? Before fees and everything else. So that's the thing. The 401k is a complete bogus myth and totally. people don't want to let that go. They're like, but I got to get that match. I'm like, Trust me, you will make more money away from it because even if you got the same returns between what you guys are talking about in the alternative space versus getting the same return, say that people did get 15, 20% in both because it's been the last 12 years of up market of 14.5%. Say you happen to match, right? The difference though is that here, if this is a stock market, the stock market, you're still only supposed to pull out maybe two or 3%. So if you get up to a million bucks, you're like, yay, okay, now I'm living off 20, 30,000 a year. I'm a millionaire that's living below the poverty line. I'm a broke millionaire versus a million bucks. Even if you got that 10% return is paying you a hundred thousand a year. And if it's in real estate, you get the tax advantages to keep more of your money. Where in the stock market, there are no tax advantages. You get taxed and don't think IRAs or 401ks gives you any breaks. They're just delaying your tax to later to really hit it with you with bigger taxes. And then you end up like a lot of my clients, whether it's about 60 years old saying, shoot, I just got 1.4 million. How do I get this money out of the IRA without paying a crap load of taxes, right? Yeah. That's the problem. Like you don't want to be there. I know with real estate, we write off everything we make. And if you're a real uh-huh. professional, real estate professional, <laughs> you even get to show losses, you know? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I, I love one of my friends, he's a syndicator out in Hawaii. And he's like, yeah, like I made over a million, but uh, we claim 25,000 on, on our tax return because he's like, I offset my wife's teacher salary too. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's a beautiful thing. Like it's such an amazing place to be. So even if you got the same returns, it's not the same. It's always about what kind of income can you get from it? I think so many people get caught up on, Hey, but I'm not going to pay taxes or I'm going to pay less taxes. I'm like, what's the point of paying less taxes if you're making less money? Like, (laughs) I don't understand. Like, especially this conversation comes up around 529 plans. They're like, oh yeah. well, but if I put it in a 529 plan, then it'll grow you know, and I don't have to pay taxes on that. And I'm like, but the growth is like nothing. Like who cares if you don't pay taxes on no growth? Like what does it matter? So when you have handcuffs, right? Like the thing people don't realize is that any qualified plan, including 529 plan, you're not the one in charge. The government is actually the one that owns and controls it, but they say, oh, it's in your name, but you're just a benefactor. Like it's for the benefit of blank your name, right? That's what it is. They're in full control. That's why they're talking about changing the laws and, hey, what about self-directed? Do we limit where they can invest it or not? I mean, they tell you, it's like being a teenager again. It's Mm -hmm. like saying, hey, I I bought my own car, but my parents are holding the car keys for me. Go out and drive tonight. Is it okay? That's what it's like having a qualified plan. You can't be free there. Like when that's, there's always that uncertainty, always that worry. Mm -hmm. Am I going to be, am I going to grow it too big to where now I'm considered rich? And then of course, part of Congress is going to say, we need to tax you now, right? And we need to tax you more because it's not fair that you have more and they don't just because you're a responsible saver, right? Mm -hmm. That's just ridiculous. Yeah. And you have to wonder why is none of this being taught in schools? And then I grow up to be an adult and now I'm being told how to handle my money by somebody else who's actually controlling it. You have to ask the question why. Um, And so it's crazy. Like I have this like theory that they're intentionally doing that. 
(laughs) to keep people down so that they will continue to have the control over money and finances. And so I homeschool my three kids Mm -hmm. and once or twice a week, we like deep dive into, we talk about stocks, but we also talk about real estate. We talk about entrepreneurship and we talk about money. And it's a conversation that at six, eight and nine, I never had. I didn't have this conversation until I was old. <laughs> That's right. I wish somebody was telling me this stuff when I was six, eight, and nine. And so, so important to really, I think, reflect and look at what's really happening and ask questions. And like you talked about throughout the show, is really look at facts what's mm-hmm. really happening and who's really leading and what kind of results are they having and what kind of results are others in the alternative space having and kind of make your decisions that way on who you're going to listen to and who you're going to follow. Well, you so. made an important point for me too, why I call my company Money Ripples, right? Because you know, as you are blessed financially, you can bless more lives. You can create a ripple totally. effect through your community, through families, especially. Oh, yeah. And like my wife, she homeschools her two daughters, right? The 11-year-old just today, just before we're doing this interview, she asked her 11-year-old daughter, hey, do you want to go in on a property with me? You know, uh-huh. get a turnkey real estate property out in, yeah. in Missouri. Yeah. And she's like, okay. And they calculate the money. If she puts in 500 bucks, what would it be? It was like yeah. a 0.8% ownership in the property. And so it's funny because my wife's saying, well, it's only about $67 a year on that property. And she's like, well, that's pretty good, isn't it? She's like, it's not a lot. My wife's saying it's not a lot, but I was like, show her what she's earning in her savings account right now at 0.05%. It was like $25 a year versus 67. And then there's possible growth on the back end when you sell it. She's like, forget the savings account. You know, yeah. I'm done. <laughs> Not $25 a year, sorry, 25 cents for the savings oh. account. 25 oh. cents a year yeah. versus $67 for the rental. It was like, okay. Yeah. She was excited. She had dollar signs in her eyes. She's like, we're buying that property. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Annie does a lot of this as well. Brought her son. I don't know if you've brought Eli into a deal yeah. yet, but I know Kai's yeah. made some money on some deals already. We were um, just, together. we were literally talking about this at the dinner table yesterday. My older son is eight and he's invested with us in a few different deals, fix and flips and syndications. And wow. last night we were talking about, my husband's a real estate agent mm-hmm. and he actually paid our older son a referral fee because of a client <laughs> he referred to my husband who's, <laughs> who bought a house. And so they were talking about, it's roughly about $5,000, what he should do with it. And so we were talking about syndications and with the fix and flip, he was a little impatient. We took him to see the property as we were renovating it, but he was a little impatient and he hadn't invested very much. It was just a couple hundred dollars. So he didn't have very many much in returns to show for it. Yeah. So in this case, he was curious. He's like, okay, well, what would it be per year? And what would I get on every day? He wanted to know every day, what would I get? And so we backed out the math and it came down to about a dollar a day. And he was like, oh, a dollar. But I'm like, look, in 20 days, you're going to have $20. Yeah. And in a year, you have almost $400. And he was like, oh. You did nothing for it. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And then on the back end, there's more money. He was like, yeah, let's go. And Uh so I think it's so great that we're all talking about this and educating the next generation because- That's such a big part of it about going against the messages that they're hearing on a daily basis, because Mm -hmm. it takes a lot to carve away at that because they're hearing that constantly. And so they need just as much, if not more of the alternative world and getting them to think outside the box to get them comfortable with it as well. 
Completely agree. Yeah, I've got eight kids, so there's a lot of untraining. You, have you to do, do not eight. Oh my goodness, <laughs> six of my own, and then my wife has two from her previous marriage. So, oh you know, my, it's gosh. a Brady bunch, but there's no room for Alice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wow. Well, we'll have to have you back on the show for another episode to talk about what things you're teaching your kids. My gosh, eight kids. What are their age ranges? Between five and 17. Okay. Wow. So fun. We love talking about this kind of stuff. Annie and I will talk about what different things she's teaching her kids. I've been teaching my kids about syndication since they were five, four, and two. And I don't know how much the two-year-old kept up with that, but it's so fun to watch them process all of this and be able to explain like how cash flow works and equity and all these different things at their ages now. So, yeah. so fun. All right. We're going to move into the life and money show spotlight round where we're going to ask you a couple of questions around life and money. Yeah. So the first question is, what is one thing that you're doing right now to live a meaningful and intentional life by design? One big habit I love doing, I mean, everybody calls it something different. They all have their morning routine, their morning ritual, power hour or hour of power if Tony Robbins call it right. I have my own and I focus on the three E's, exercise, education, and enlightenment, right? Which is basically like physical, mental, spiritual, right? Just doing those things in the morning to kind of get your body going. I have to get my body going first before those other two, otherwise they don't work. Right? <laughs> so I have to wake myself up. But then after I do that, start doing things with education. And again, body, it could be movement, just simply walk in the brisk air or something, right? The education could be, you could be listening to earbuds. You'd be listening to this podcast right now. You could be listening to audiobooks. You could be studying up on a subject that you're trying to master or whatever it might be. Spiritual, whatever it is. Like I like to do prayers of gratitude and things like that. Not so much during the hardest workouts, but maybe during the easier workouts, I can do those more easily, right? All that kind of stuff. Just doing that to start your day right so you have a win. That's the key. Yep. I was just talking about this with one of my coaching clients about starting off your day exactly this way. And I emphasize exercise and eating Mm -hmm. right and the mindfulness, the spiritual part of feeling gratitude. And because when you start your day in the first like 30 minutes of your day with a mindset of gratitude, your whole day is completely different than if you started your day with your long list of like to do's and all the meetings ahead of your having to homeschool the kids all day or whatever. And so that's been something for me as well. And even if it's just going for a brisk walk, like you said, and I'll throw on my podcast and I'll listen to Tony Robbins talk to me for like 30 minutes about whatever, some topic that I want to hear him talk on. And it's such an amazing way to start the day with intentionality and to really set the tone for the day. So I love that. All right. Second question is around others' life and money. So what is one life or money hack that you can share that'll make an impact in others' lives right now? And this is one thing I didn't share because I knew I was going to share it later. If you have any kind of loans for that matter, especially when people are in that mindset of, oh, debt's evil, right? Well, how do you know which is worse, right? I actually have an equation I use that I actually helped me dig out of that big financial hole I was in, right? I call it a cash flow index. So what you do is you take the balance of the loan divided by the minimum monthly payment and you'll get a number. You'll get this cash flow index, right? The lower the number, the more you want to pay it off, especially if it gets below like 30, 40, like those ones are like urgent. Let's get rid of them. So like, for example, you have a $10,000 credit card and say it's $200 a month, right? Now, let's just say you also have a $10,000 car loan and it's $500 a month. Now, Dave Ramsey would tell you, if you all you have is 10,000 bucks, pay off the credit card, right? Because that's evil, has high interest. But the truth is in reality, we want to pay off the car first because I'd much rather free up 500 a month than 200. It gives me more options and freedom, especially if you're trying to aggressively pay down debt. 
And so when you look at those numbers, the cash flow index, the credit card was a 50, but the car loan was a 20. And especially if it's low interest, when it gets 20 or below, those mortgages, car loans, student loans, that's when I pay those off. I don't pay them off before 20 or when it's higher than 20. If anything, I'll refi them like crazy and just keep using that cheap interest, right? But those other ones like credit cards, I go for the lowest one. Ignore the interest rate. Interest rate actually distracts you. Go for the lowest index first. Then you can roll up and do that little snowball method as you go along. But if it gets above like 50 or even 100, psh, forget it. Like mortgages, I want the mortgage to be at least a 200 index. <laughs> I think I hear the sound of mines being blown everywhere. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Just play this amazing. at half speed. You're yeah. really slow. <laughs> Can you repeat that again for everyone? What was the calculation? Yep. You take the balance of the loan uh-huh. and divide it by the minimum monthly payment. Not what you're actually paying, but the minimum required payment. Divide those into each other, you'll get the index. So like that 10,000 divided by $200 a month credit card, that's an f- index of 50, which is decent for a credit card. That's kind of average. 40 to 50 is pretty average. Now, if you take that car loan, it was 10,000, you're paying 500 a month, much more stress, right? That's a 20. And that's the kind of thing we want to get rid of is get rid of those really low indexes and get to the point where you only have high ones. So now like I look at my credit, even though I've paid off pretty much everything, but like, actually we even paid off our cars recently too. But before like car loan, if it's like, you know, 50 or 60 index, awesome, right? It's cheap, easy mortgages. I try to get them up close to 200 or above as much as I can. HELOCs. I love HELOCs for that very reason. Because when you do the math lately, it's been more like an index of 300. That means for every $300 you borrow, you only pay $1 a month versus mm. if you try to use a credit card, you might be have for every $40 you borrow, you pay $1 a month, right? So mm-hmm. HELOC's a lot cheaper and you can get more out of it so you can invest with it and make more money. Right. So fascinating. I'll have to look at my stuff and see where my stuff falls <laughs> on the index. Yeah, it's so, so smart. There's mm-hmm. not an easy way to compare apples to apples, right. all these different right. loans that you might have. So I think this is very, very smart. Yeah, yeah, I used to do it based on the ROI. Like I would divide the payment, you know, the annual total of monthly payments into the balance, but that got hard for people. And so I said, let's just make it an easy, basic number that they can go off of. But that's really what yeah. it is. Like the lower the number, the higher the ROI is, right? That's the thing. All right. Love that one. Okay. Last question is around life and money in the world. So what is one thing that you're doing right now to make the world a better place? Well, I became financially independent in 2016 by the end of that, by December of that year. And I was like, cool. So I took off two months in California, just went snowbirded. That's what we do every winter. We go snowbird. (laughs) But I'll tell you, the thing is, I was like, I can't stop. Like I got to keep teaching. And that's the thing I love. I love teaching, right? Um, That's why I still have my podcast. I do the Chris Miles Money Show. Like that's my labor of love is like, let's get this message out there. Let's get people thinking differently and really just expand their minds and expand their finances so that they become free and create this massive legacy, definitely within their family first and foremost, but then even across their community and across the world. Like That's what I want is create freedom and prosperity for everybody. That definitely resonates with us. I can tell you that teaching and that spreading the message and the knowledge is a big part of why we do what we do as well. So glad to hear that. Well, Chris, I know that people are going to want to, their minds are being blown and they're picking their jaws up off the floor. I'm sure they're going to want to learn more. So what's the best place that they can go to connect with you and learn more about all that you're doing? Yeah. Two easy places because I'll give you my TikTok handle, but I have no clue. So it's probably <laughs> at Money Ripples or something like that. But two easier places than that is one, you can go to our website, moneyripples, 
com. There's lots of the education, including that ebook I mentioned earlier in the interview that you can get for free. Or you can even just, like I said, follow my podcast, The Chris Miles Money Show. It's on iTunes, YouTube, whatever, Audible, you know, whatever you use to listen to this stuff. Awesome. Well, we'll have all those links in the show notes for all of our listeners. Chris Miles, cash flow expert, podcast host, and creator of Money Ripples. Chris, thank you so much for being here and sharing your wisdom with us and our listeners today. Such an honor. Thank you so much. You've been listening to The Life and Money Show, the number one podcast for people who, like you, are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth, and making an impact in the world. For more resources, check out goodegginvestments.com and be sure to join the Life and Money Show community on Facebook. And if you got value out of this show, please subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations. 